What if pain was a guide to make us look inside and equip us with resilience? What tools would we need to master? Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Wherever you are tuning in from today, you're listening to my guru, and I'm your host, Anna Maria Bosky. This week's podcast is really unique and special. Not that the others weren't, they all are, but this one is really significant. I sat down with Shiv Sharan Singh, a Kundalini Yoga master, the inventor of Karam Kriya, and a really wise teacher whose life living on the streets of Amsterdam had him question the point of life. Through his questioning and his courage and determination, he spent 90 days not eating to consciously make his way towards death, just so he could process the entire experience. After encountering a number of near-death incidents, he acquired intimate knowledge about the process of living and dying that we all seek to understand. After experiencing that inner light or the essence of his being, this led him towards a path of kundalini yoga. During our conversation, Shiv Sharan speaks about the little free will we actually have and the illusion of control that we feed, how we don't really need a purpose, and why depression is a longing of the soul and truly a gift of transformation. He also reminds us about the power of saying no, and that by eliminating things from our life, we can illuminate our life. Every word Shiv Sharan shared during this podcast is truly profound and honestly sacred. Each line that he uttered, you know, really has the power to shatter one's own illusions of what life is about, which is what made this podcast impossible to cut down to a one-hour episode. So, It's a two-hour special and totally worth listening to right through to the end. It was an incredible honor to be sat across from Shiv Sharan for those two hours, and there was really little that I had to say as I was so moved by everything that he shared. And I just wish for you, those that are listening, to really be present with what Shiv Sharan has to say. And even replay this podcast if you want to, multiple times if you need to, as some of life's greatest life lessons are buried in here. So go grab a tea, sit back, relax, and enjoy this really, really nourishing, wise, thoughtful podcast. So today I'm with Shiv Sharan Singh, Kundalini Yoga Master and founder of Karam Kriya, which is the study of life through numbers and the study of numbers through life. 
So to start, I would love it if you could tell me a little bit more about who you are and what your life was like before Kundalini Yoga. Okay. Mm, who I am is uh, just a tricky question, in a way. I am who I am. I feel like I'm the same person I was the day I was born and all through my life and now and will continue to be. As a person, I'm in the same being. If I think back to an occasion, any occasion, five-year-old, sitting in the house, looking around me, what I see is, this, uh, what I feel in me, in the consciousness of my environment, people, setting, has always been the same, all the way through. Uh, so that is one thing, um, who I am. But you might want more details about who I am. It's not a mystery. What was my life before yoga? If we talk about just before yoga, uh, basically I was homeless, living on the streets of Amsterdam and um, pretty close to death. And I had an experience that um, not easy to describe, but made it clear that there was still a life to live and service to do. And so when I agreed within myself to that, then um, I came to a vegetarian restaurant run by Kundalini Yogi Sikhs. And uh, they might not call themselves that, but... And uh, started to work in the restaurant and get familiar with the yoga, the mantras, the kirtan, Sikh Dharma. That's who I was before yoga. Interesting, and I, I, I hear, I hear you like you know touch upon the fact that you were homeless and had this encounter where I guess you needed to decide about whether to live or, or to not. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? I, I'm just curious about that story. Certainly. Life for me at that point was not very motivating. Um, I had done a lot of research, met different teachers, studied different teachings. I think I was, had become a bit cynical about life and anyway from a very young age the, what is beyond life somehow interested me more so even at five years old at a funeral and seeing people crying and having a feeling that they're missing something and not really finding anyone to talk to about that um, by the time i was um, in my mid or late teens i was trying to read a lot study a lot I stayed in some monasteries, Buddhist monasteries, investigated what's going on because not everybody's telling or they don't know or they don't want to talk about it. Um, so I decided that what is beyond life was more interesting than life itself. And I'd had several experiences, after-body experiences and serious accidents were seeing my life kind of passing before me. So. My experiences very clearly indicated to me that I was more than this life. 
and uh, which leads on to the topic of reincarnation, you could say. So, um, but not really finding much clue or sense of all this life, uh, I decided to personally investigate the other side and to do that not by a rapid jump off a bridge kind of moment but uh, slowly slowly so I stopped eating and for about 90 days and went through many different steps stages of consciousness and who can say if I went the whole distance or not but what I will say is that I did have the feeling that I got the contact to the light that lives in everyone and behind everything and that made sense and nothing else made sense and at that moment I didn't know if I was even alive or dead and I simply said to myself if I return to the world from this place then is to serve this awareness of this light in everything and in everyone. Wow. And the idea of not eating, where did that come from? A way of going slowly, going towards the death, slowly and consciously, rather than rapidly wanting to go there, but keep awareness as much as possible on the path. And just my own idea. Quite. Okay, so you were consciously making your way towards death and you wanted to slow down that process so yeah, you could process exactly. the entire exactly. experience. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, doing some research on you, I read that you had like a few near-death experiences. How did that enrich your awareness of the process of living and dying? Well, it all confirmed that there is something beyond the life we live. And that's the basic point, really. Having out-of-body experience during surgery, looking down on my body, very clear that, you know, I'm not just this body, or I'm not even this body. I'm, I'm a being that inhabits this body. So that was very evident to me. And that was when I was 17. Um, had a Kundalini rising experience also when I was around the same age, which nobody could explain to me around me and uh, seemed like if you talk to anybody about it they would say you had some kind of mental problem and should go and see a doctor so but i had the feeling inside me whatever you do don't talk to a doctor about this so um yeah um, serious car accident where i was all in slow motion and seeing the life movie and that's interesting because if you then, this was before I investigated it, yeah? And then after that, reading accounts of people of near-death accounts, and they're all describing something very similar. So that kind of also helped to reinforce to me this general sense that I had. Even when I was maybe 10 years old, something like that, I remember going out into the wood the, near the farm where we lived in Scotland and we went to collect wood for the winter and chop down some small trees or something 
and um, had this axe in my hand and then suddenly the whole panorama in front of me changed and I was in a battlefield and there was people screaming and there was heads rolling on the floor and there was blood and there was, it was a chaos of a battle and um, then I kind of came out of that and I was back and I looked around my brother was there, sister was there, father was there nobody else seemed to have noticed anything mm. so again I didn't talk to anybody about it because I thought they're going to think I'm, I'm nuts you know, I'm crazy so my, my life is full of the, such moments that constantly told me there's something else there's a whole bit we're, we're living in a curtain and like a veil and then there's some things way way beyond that that we hardly can perceive and I understand generally that uh, for, for most people's normal function of life that veil actually serves you know if everybody could really see uh, it would probably for a lot of people it would just be too shocking or freaky or confusing um, people would become very dysfunctional so I understand that there's a value or a purpose in that veil at the same time living life without any sense of what is beyond all that we normally see and perceive is a very shallow and narrow life and that's what I was feeling in the sense of this life doesn't make sense unless it's in consideration of something far bigger which I can say more easily now but at that time I couldn't find the sense of it so given my experiences the, the only interest I had was I, I want to have that sense I want to know what is beyond everything we perceive here is temporary this body is temporary you know every object we have every house we build anything it's all temporary people call it illusion I don't agree with this idea that all this is an illusion just because it's temporary the illusion is to think that it's permanent mm. um, but it is what it is I, I say it's an insult to the creator to say the creation is an illusion you know but the creation is only the creation and we perceive the tip of the iceberg you know and that's I don't know how much that is but 10 or 20 percent you know so and then the danger people get into spirituality and meditate and all kind of things and actually they get fascinated by some of the phenomena that is because the veil has many layers mm. so they get fascinated with a lot of like astral traveling or you know lucid dreaming and all those kind of things and reading auras you know there's there's so many levels to that but actually all of that is also just temporary phenomena you know when you die you don't take your aura with you so to give it any more importance than the physical body is not it doesn't really mean much to me it's all it's all part of the temporary domains and there are many layers to it and many ways to get as as easily you can get lost and fascinated in the shopping mall you know of, of the everyday life you can easily get lost in the spiritual circus of, of the first levels of what is beyond this life so yeah and do you feel like that feeling of senselessness that that people encounter is them knocking on the door to discovering what's beyond the veil 
there could be several things happening. And um, when we build up our projection of what life is all about, our belief, and then we, our practical life then becomes a reflection of that, yeah? Whatever we believe life is all about. And even if it has good intention, I was talking to someone recently, does uh, some healing or therapy work with people. And he, he just hit this moment of complete disillusionment. And it's not wrong that he had, he's a lot, very compassionate, very heartful person. So that motivated him to study and, and become a healer. But he, he had the fantasy also that he's the healer. Okay, and it's what we might call savior complex, you know, that uh, the, the, how much we are the doer and how much actually we are governed by forces that we don't see. So it's not that we don't have some free will, but it's, nobody really knows the percentage is really yours. You know, a real free, free, free will. It's extremely rare, probably, if it even exists. So we're governed by media, we're governed by our history, we're governed by karmic patterns, we're governed by was written on the Akashic Records, are governed by planets, uh, you know, astral forces, spirits and demons that are hovering around everybody. Um, you can make a long list of forces that are actually governing and controlling everything we do and everything we think and everything we say. Uh, but we're not aware of that. So we live in the illusion that we're in control. Mm. And it's a very hypnotic and convincing illusion. And so even this idea of, uh, you know, if you believe it, you can produce it. You know, you can manifest whatever you want to manifest. It, it's a big lie, actually, you know. How many people have sat there and meditated on what they want to manifest year after year, and they're not getting it, what they want to manifest? Yeah. Somebody writes a book saying how to be a millionaire, yeah? So he's a millionaire. But how many of the people who read the book actually became a millionaire? Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of illusions around what control we really have. It doesn't mean we don't have some input, but it's not easy to get the right measure of what is really ours to do, and um, and what's the limit of that, and how to do what is yours well. You know. This this delusion comes, and and the person has been living in a cocoon. And I also see that as important. I don't see that as a problem. A butterfly has to have the cocoon before it becomes a butterfly. Something has to grow strong inside. So to break, you know, that I'm not out on the street campaigning to shatter people's uh, hypnosis, actually, because actually they probably couldn't survive without it. Mm. Okay, there's a stage, you know, from the caterpillar to the chrysalis and then the breaking of the egg it comes out the bird, yeah? But you have to have the egg first. So in, in many respects, I just feel like a witness, you know. Let people be where they have to be in, in the, their delusion. But somebody came to me and, okay, this was the moment that he was ready to break out. You know, he's feeling like what I thought it was all about is falling apart. I'm not feeling the motivation anymore. Because it was colored by his idea of what it means to help people and how much he is the helper, rather than just a puppet in some way. I don't know, that's an exaggeration maybe, but it's 
to what extent are we just puppets to even know that so there had to be the breakdown of his idea of what life was all about his sense of meaning and purpose had to be shattered as a very critical moment some people cannot easily pick up a life again after that and uh, so it's but it's a, like a midlife crisis in a way that many yeah. people will have and for me it's like hey look at you you're you're actually just on the edge of ready to break out of your cocoon but you're going to have to make decisions that are really powerful now and that have to last you for the rest of your life and you have to reevaluate and redefine who you are and what the purpose is because it it was not what you thought and who you are in this big picture and this theater of this world is not who you thought you were you know and so are you are you willing to go there if you're not you're talking to the wrong person <laughs> go go and have a psychotherapy for the next 10 years or something because i'm talking about a radical adjustment on every every level of your life and that's not for everybody but some people in their midlife challenge this is part of what's going on and they've been you know we build up strategies we build up mechanisms we build up habits and ways of thinking which are like our way to survive protection but at a certain moment in the life that protection is a prison what was what was holding you safe is now suffocating you it's got another layer on it another layer and another layer and is actually strangling you okay so i you know are you ready to break out of that and do, and is your inner sense of self strong enough to do that yeah because if you if you break the egg before the chicken's ready it's not going to survive if you break the cocoon the chrysalis before the butterfly should break it from the inside so i'm having a conversation with somebody about exploring are you ready to break out it's not i'm not going to do it for you i know there has to be some core strength so something really for people to work with before they look at try to deal with this external shift that's going on in terms of meaning or what am i doing in this world there's got to be a building up of sense of self the self that is independent of all the costumes all the drama all the different roles and and um, you know you've got to get out of it i'm the victim or i'm the controller or i'm the rescuer um i'm the guilty one i'm the sinner all these all these different things we put on ourselves yeah i can i can really resonate with that and i i, I guess my the thought that comes to me is that in some way depression and a lack of or a loss of meaning in some way is a gift right there's another level when you talk of depression mm. part of it is what we've just spoke about and that's the, the gift of it yeah it's it's a gift of a moment of transformation or almost a mutational kind of shift you know because butterfly doesn't look anything like the caterpillar did you know so it's a complete mutation of your being and your sense of yourself um but in addition to this there's another thing going on often inside a depression is not only the lack of meaning or the loss of meaning but also a kind of melancholy okay a kind of sadness yeah and that sadness is actually has another story in it 
Yeah, and we call that the longing of the soul. There's a sense of separation and there's a sense of an emptiness and one wants to fulfill that in some way. So people use either different ways to medicate to take away that feeling. Um, others try desperately to fulfill it, but it ends up becoming something very compulsive or addictive. If you try to numb it, 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 it keeps reoccurring. It, it calls your attention. It's not meant to be ignored. At the same time, if you try to fulfill it from material plane, how much love is enough from someone? How much food or drink or tobacco or alcohol or anything is enough? You know, It's actually never enough because it contains in it something that, again, doesn't belong to this world. It's, a, it's a, like a homesickness, a nostalgia, a melancholy for, you know, what is our true home kind of thing. And so, again, that's not easy to deal with. Yeah? People don't comfortably find a way to express that, to live that. Uh, in Kundalini Yoga, we have an expression of emotion to devotion. But then people think religion. Religion doesn't have a very good reputation these days. So, <laughs> so people are kind of stuck. You know, neither the world can fulfill it. There's a resistance to anything to do with religion or God or the dogma and the rituals of that. And then we're left with, with nothing. So basically we have a world that constantly tries to offer you new ways of fulfillment, new sensational experiences in workshops, new anything, you know, whether it's on the very material level, the new lover, you know, there's a new person that I love now, that is the answer to my heart, and how long does that last? Yeah, and it, we just go on chasing from one thing to another. And the spiritual marketplace also does a pretty good job of promising you everything and delivering you very little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. So we just, we just keep moving into more subtle ways, but we keep manifesting the same addiction, the same compulsion, the same thirst or hunger. And... Uh, one might say, reach out, you know, and that's what, why religion is a problem these days, because it was too much about a God out there, which doesn't mean that there is not some sense of cosmic intelligence or, you know, the sum of all what is, is beyond. But it's also something very deep inside us. And the times we live in, the way we need to get to that is, is within what that could be interpreted as, you know the expression like the yin-yang symbol, the, the light is in the dark. Yeah? yeah. So within my emptiness is actually there's a fullness. There's, there's an answer within it itself. Problem is, if I just sit in it in the, in the wrong way, like without the right guidance, there's a certain thread that you have to follow to really get to the purity of it. Uh, otherwise, like we, in yoga, we talk about central channel, uh, right channel, left channel. If you go down one side or the other, it's either a hysterical madness comes or uh, a suicidal depression is there, like a black hole, really. So how to go down and where to go down to, into that depth of self, 
to actually find the light of your being. That in most cases we say that needs guidance, whether that's a practice, whether that's the use of mantras and things like that, or a teacher, which is not easy to, to find a teacher that will not take advantage nowadays. There's a lot of talk about teachers abusing students and everything. So I use the expression of the concave mirror, yeah, that uh, the Maya is a convex mirror. And a convex mirror, when you look at it, your head is very big, so your ego is big. And you see all the things around you, all the shopping, all the, the attractions. Yeah? And it's all saying, come here, come here, come out of yourself. Look, bigger, better and more. Let's pull you out of your senses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? And if I look in a concave mirror, three things happen. My head is very small. All the distractions are taken out. They're not available to me. They're cut out of my view. And my body is turned upside down. My head is now where my heart is. Okay? So, a healthy teaching, teaching and teacher, I put them kind of together, is something that will have you stop in your tracks and guide you to the you in you so that you can find that and you don't go down the black hole and you don't go into some hysterical sensation seeking but you actually find you but it's not an easy path and it's, it takes commitment and you really want to go on that journey to self it's a journey to self one might say oh who needs a teacher or a guru or and teachings let me just find the way but many people have tried that and gone very crazy with it or you know or nothing happens so I, we can only say good luck you know to anybody who wants to just try and do it on your own it's like trying to swim the atlantic on your own when there's a big ocean liner you can get on you know which will provide you everything you need to guide you on your way and that's also what community is about in, in a way you know? many birds can cross the ocean together you know one on your own it's not going to be an easy path. So it's not, it's not that the answer is on the altar, not that the answer is in Krishna or Jesus or Buddha or Guru Ramdas or anything. It's that it's a question of whether they serve you as a mirror to find that consciousness in you, Buddha nature, Christ consciousness, whatever you want to call that. But if you relate to it in that way, then it should serve you to come to that. This is the point. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, it's it's really challenging to to live in a world with so much communication of what you should or you shouldn't, especially yeah. with social media, right? Yeah, you open up your Instagram and you you flick through different channels and you're being communicated that you're behind, you're not good enough. You know, this person has that career. You should be there or not and it's you're hard miss, to you're missing out something you're missing out yeah, so on you've something. got to keep scrolling to see what you might be missing yeah yeah and then this like feeling of inadequacy and not feeling good That's enough right. and then mm -hmm. seeing the world through like a, in a linear lens of okay yeah. so so i need to start here to get here to get here um and it's uh, it's hard to be able to listen to what it is like you said mm -hmm. that your inner self wants and i'm curious you said that one needs to build a sense of self Right, in order to uh, be able to kind of overcome this depression. And it's I a paradox. You, you are what you're looking for. It's like holding a torch and looking for the light. 
when essentially you you have a light in your own eyes, but you're searching for the light. But how do I turn around and go backwards and find the source of my own seeking? In most cases, when we go seeking, actually the thing we're seeking for, we, we're losing it. I'm losing my own prana, my own energy, my own light is being lost in the act of seeking. But if I can turn around and go to the source of the, who's the seeker, then you have a chance. But in most cases, this needs guidance. And how does one build their sense of self? Building is a tricky word. I'll come back to that in a moment. There are several approaches. I think the most powerful one is just to decide I am. Just to make that decision and hold to that. I don't know yet what I am, who I am, where I am, where I came from, where I'm going, and so on. This I don't know, but I am. I have been, I am, and I shall continue to be. Many things have changed, and yet there's still I. There's a, a lot of talk about that because there's a very egoistic I, which obviously is challenged in different teachings. But I feel it's a mistake when people go into such a teaching that says, there's no I, there's only the one. Yeah. It's very naive, and maybe it's not meant like that by the ones who say it, but people hear that, and then they get into there's no I. I say, okay, give me the keys to your car. You know, <laughs> give me the shirt off your back. What? Well, why are you asking? What are you asking? Well, you said there's no I, nothing is yours. I'll take it if you don't want to be an I. I am an I and I'll take it. <laughs> just a game, yeah, just to play with. Like, it's such a simple, suddenly you start thinking, wait a minute, I think we're only seeing half the picture here. There's I and there's no I. It's neither true that there's only I and it's neither true that there's no I. Okay, there's a kind of paradoxical scenario here. The I that I have believed I am is very delusional, for sure. But to then discard that there is a sense of self is a big mistake. So, can I go with I am? Okay. Some people use that mantra, I am that I am. There's another mantra of I am, I am, in the sense of the small I am and the macrocosmic I am. However you want to phrase it, the, can you settle for I am? Not qualified, I am this, I am that, and that, but just I am. Okay? Now, you may not feel that yet, or you may not feel it stable yet, or you may not feel that you understand what that means or how to do that. Never mind. Can you accept I am? Can, can you make a choice that that is the case? And that over time, it's going to get clearer and clearer to you. Because if you don't have that, then what do you have? Everything you have is temporary. You see through the temporary, so you want to dissolve yourself into the cosmic oneness. No problem. Go and stay in a monastery and disappear. Or, and this is what some people found, they went in a monastery for 30 years, 40 years, and they come out saying, there's still me. 
I'm still here. Mm. I've, I've had moments of merging into the cosmic oneness, transcendent and euphoric and whatever, whatever they want to call it. But at the end of the day, I keep landing back with self. So they walk out and say, okay, there's a self. Okay, you can take 40 years in a monastery to figure that out. That, you know, like when I talked about death and my journey through that, it's part of that. It's all the different layers of self, all the illusions of self, all the lifetimes of identification of self, all falling away. And yet self is still there. Now, I understand if somebody has not been through that journey, it's harder to work that out. Well, what do you mean? How do I do that? Or, and I wouldn't advise anybody to go on a 19-day fast, you know, something like that. So one should never impose to others necessarily you know, what they have done their own way. But I think a simple choice that anybody can make is, okay, I'm going to work with that. I'm going to take that as, a, as an anchor point. There is self. Okay? And then start to redefine everything you live based on the understanding. And if you do that, it will come to you. The self will say, thank you. Okay, finally you're coming back to you, to the real you. It will honor you. It will, it will reveal itself to you. It, and we talk about crystallization, which is where the building comes into it. And I'm not, I'm not sure that I would still go to that term. If I will go back through my history, I can recognize in the early years how much part of me was still anchored into different events, let's say, yeah, or stories with people, yeah. So it's, it's really like I'm fragmented. My, my sense of self is fragmented into, and that goes beyond just this lifetime, okay. So rather than the term building, I'm thinking more of remembering recollecting. It's an interesting expression, yeah, to recollect, to recollect the fragments of self, to, there's like strings tied to all those different parts of my stories, yeah, and to undo those strings, which means release all debt. Nobody owes me anything, I don't owe anybody anything, you know, so to take that outlook to life. I'm not waiting to resolve. I decide it's finished, it's over. There's no story. I don't need a parent to apologize. I don't need them to acknowledge what they did right or wrong. I don't need to go to my brother and say, I'm sorry. And I may anyway, it might help him, but I release it. That is a big thing. I'm not against saying that's easy, and I don't mean it in some spiritual, abstract, nicey-nice way. It's actually to genuinely do that and sit with your singular being of self, naked of all of that, it's actually, you have to cross a lot of pain also doing that. You know, it's a very hard place. It's not a mental game. It's something, because people, I know, they comment and they, they judge certain spiritual intellectualisms as, as bypassing. And I acknowledge that fully. I recognize that. And, and often come back to challenge myself, make sure this is real, what you're doing. This is not just clever books, words you can read out of any spiritual um, bestseller, you know, that's yeah. on the market. So it's, it's a very profound work in yourself to just strip everything down 
and release all those stories and release the people from, from any depth and release you from depth to that. You don't have to wait for them to release that depth. You know, you can release that yourself. And it's an exercise that needs what we call japa, you, know, is you have to repeat it over and over again to be, to be really uh, deep with it and very authentic with it. But as you do that, yourself comes crashing in on you, actually, which is also can be shocking. And, and it's a strong, intense experience in your body and your nervous system and your, your glandular system. So to, to call you back to you. And so rather, you could then say it's like a, it's a rebuilding of yourself, but it's, it's mostly a recollecting. Then the challenge is to stabilize that. And that needs pressure. So any, any discipline one has in life, exercise, sleeping, um, diet uh, discipline, any yogic or meditative practice, or discipline of doing service to those, you know, helping those you can. Any, any discipline in the life, actually, um, it serves to put a pressure on you. Because you're not out looking for something for yourself. You're actually reversing that. Yeah, and, and through that discipline, you are constantly contained in yourself in a way. And this, and this containment starts to fuse yeah, the parts of yourself that they come to fuse together. And we call that making the diamond in a way. Yeah? And um, so it will happen like that. People will find for a while, oh, I think I've got it, I'm stable, I'm good. Like you go and stay in an ashram or you go and hang out with, with the right people for a while. I'm okay now, I'm good, because I was having a really bad time and I needed to be with you. Thanks, everybody. And you step out the door thinking you're good, and then within weeks or months you see that it all starts to fragment again. In the blink of an eye, the mind is fast, and the maya is strong. In the blink of an eye, we're, we're caught in it again, and we start to um, fragment and disperse ourselves. So to stabilize, it requires this constant japa of returning, Return to self, return to self, return to self. Which you're not going to do if you don't choose that there is a self. Which is why I said that this could be something that everybody, without needing to go through some heavy drama experience or shock or trauma or near death or anything else, just can I put my left hand, we talk about left hand, left side is your relation to you. Right hand is for the world. Yeah, you see a lot of those images of Buddha and other saints, and you often see the left hand is either down in the lap, or it's on the heart, or it's holding the Kyan Mudra in the center. And the right hand is a gesture for the world, some blessing, some givingness to the world. So, left hand on the heart, I choose that I am. Yeah? And over and over, over and over. And the discipline that one chooses for oneself is a practice of containment and choosing to be a self and choosing what's right or wrong for the self. D discipline is good to ground that in very concrete things. Okay. So I'm here in this physical body and this physical body uh, needs exercise, it needs food, it needs rest and it has, it's a physical body, so it's an animal body, so it has a sexual energy or force in it, and, and it needs hygiene, you know. 
start on that level even you know most people if they would be very honest they would know am i exercising well am i taking care of this body am i is my diet right for me i may not know what is right but i know what's not mm. yeah and and so using what we call that eliminate to eliminate yeah take out the things this is interesting right i can say my life changed a lot before i can say about the things i started to do but by the things i stopped doing mm. yeah and that's often also people again the world the maya tells you always yes 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 do 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 what do i have to do yeah rather, rather stop doing but if you stop doing what do i do instead there's a vacuum and in that vacuum there's self and that's the challenge that people have so mostly people need an alternative and that's why there is a lot of options okay don't just sit around do yoga don't just sit around do tai chi don't just sit around go jogging take a walk you know the, so a lot of alternatives are offered but a healthy kind of alternative is one that doesn't pull you so much out of yourself so like the practice of yoga it's a physical exercise you're doing exercise but you're contained in yourself including yoga we're not just doing the physical work but we stay very conscious of the breathing in the rhythm of the movement and listening to the sound of the breath as a mantra as we're breathing so all the focus is here i'm doing but i'm not walking out on the street looking around me taking photos and going in the panorama and I'm, i'm occupied internally while i exercise my body if i don't take the second plate of food that of that i don't really need what i'm doing instead i'm going to go on my phone i'm going to chat i'm going to have a cigarette i need a coffee and you know or i'm just present and that means you've got to be with you it doesn't mean you close your eyes and get into some inner no you're present with you conversation is going on you're aware of the people you feel what's in the room but you stay in relation with you and if that's not comfortable which for most people is not you're going to take a second plate of food or you're going to take <laughs> the dessert and the cigarette and the coffee and whatever else is on the menu mm. yeah. staying with self requires that you stop doing things stop watching tv until three o'clock in the morning you know i didn't people say when did you start being vegetarian I was eating vegetables since I was probably six months old, mashed carrots or whatever. But so I've always been a vegetarian. Question is, when did I stop eating meat? Yeah. When did you start growing your beard? I never started growing it. <laughs> it started growing when I was a teenager. I said, "Oh, what's this? Oh, hair on my face." But then I shaved. So what changed is I stopped shaving. And by stopping that, something happened. So there's a lot of lot of things like that. What what can you stop doing? Are you prepared to do that? Because it can be very confronting. Yeah, that's true. That's the challenge. That's true. So how are you going to take that confrontation? Do you have an alternative? A very simple tool. If you, if somebody is willing to go for it, any mantra from any religion, any path, any spirituality, it doesn't matter. Just put it in your breath. Even if you just take the word relax, inhale. It's quite interesting. Relax. Take silence. 
and get absorbed in it. Choose any word, choose love, choose peace on earth, choose something pleasing, inspiring, meaningful to you. Inhale it and exhale it. Or inhale the first half, exhale the second half. So you've got something to be occupied with. Mm. Rather than let, okay, I'm sitting here and I'm not going to eat another dessert because I know I shouldn't, but I really want to. Mm, you know, mm. and everybody else is, and so you're the odd one out, and that's another big problem for a lot of people. Because yeah. you know I'm not going to go to the party, and no, I'm not going to stay there till three in the morning. I'm going to go home at midnight. I'm going to, whatever, you know, <laughs> you're, you're going to start pulling back to yourself. Yeah. And by doing that, you are the odd one. You are the strange one. Are you okay? Are you depressed? Do you need to see a doctor? Whatever. Yeah. And, and people feel uncomfortable because you're not supporting their game. So that's, you know, I am as I am. You want to have a laugh at me because I'm not supporting your game? Can I be okay with that? You can laugh, you can be afraid of me, you can feel insecure, anything, but I will not take that personally. I will not assume I'm the cause of your discomfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a very big one, very, very big. People are so concerned that people will be disturbed you know, it's like and you learned this from a young child. Your, your, your mother says, look at what you're doing to your mother. And you say, oh, I'm doing that? Mm. No, you're not, actually. She has an anxiety problem and she can't deal with it and she's putting it on you. But you're innocent enough to assume it must be me. You take it on and then you, everything else, every time anybody looks at you, oh, me, what's wrong with me? You know, someone laughs, someone, oh, they're probably laughing at me. You take it all as if it's about you. She's giggling because she's uncomfortable. She's looking at you because she doesn't understand you. And she's maybe she's curious and would wish she, that she could understand it. Maybe she's jealous. Maybe she could wish it could be like you. Mm. There's a hundred reasons why anybody might be behaving like they are. But the way our true being has become clouded with all those layers is I interpret it as it's something negative about me. And I'm looking for approval, so then I overperform in the world that somebody will tell me I'm okay. Which means fundamentally I don't believe I'm okay. It's, it's a package, you know? It's, mm -hmm. So, and only you can set you free of that. The whole world, angels, demons, aliens, spirits could all come and tell you, it's okay, you're okay. Stop trying to prove you're okay. <laughs> Stop worrying about what people say about you. It's okay, you're okay. But if you do not choose it, well, thank you, yeah, oh, that's very nice, but tomorrow you'll be back. Am I really? Mm. You know? You, it's like this. You're going, am I? And I say, I am. Same two words. One is a big question mark you put on yourself. Am I? Am I good enough? Am I loved? Am I accepted? Am I worth it? Am I this? Am I that? And you can turn that around. Two words. Turn it around. I am. No discussion. It's got to be no discussion. I, I'm not, I can't do that for anybody. I can tell it to you. I can tell it to the whole world. But you are the one who has to say, you know what? I will choose that. And the day you choose that, really choose it, there can be no going back.
everything will test you now. All, uh, the world won't change. It will still behave as it is. The question is now, somebody laughing, oh, that's a reminder. I am. You see, because I've made a choice. I, I have decided everything will be based around this. So now actually all those things in the world, somebody offering, do you want a cigarette? Oh, that reminds me, I don't smoke. Because I don't need to. Do you know, no, no. Not saying I'm better than, I don't mean it like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. in a very simple, humble way. No, thank you. I'm not saying, oh no, I don't smoke. No need. Please have your cigarette. You need it right now? I understand you need it. There was a day I needed it. You know, totally respect that. But no, thank you. And because you have served me to remind me to come back to me. So everything then actually starts to be a, an opportunity for you rather than, oh, it's so difficult because when I go with my friends and they're all doing that, and so I just get drawn in. Yeah, because you've not decided, you've not made a choice. Before you have any free will about anything, if you can't freely choose, I am I, no matter what. If you can't make that choice, no other choice is honestly a free choice. It's a fantasy of free choice. And that, even that I respect. I'll explain that. We are in rehearsing to be choosers. We pretend to be choosers. We don't know really all the forces governing, but we pretend to be choosers. Because one day you might get to the point where you can really choose. It's all, it's all practice. Yeah, beautiful. Um, yeah, hearing that is... Uh very motivational and, and inspirational as mm -hmm. well. It kind of reminds me, I was reading in, in your book, you, you mentioned that depression was essentially like the soul's yearning. Yeah, exactly, that longing. That, the longing. That nostalgia, yeah, and inside of that sadness is the soul is longing for that connection. But we're not going to find it outside. It, it exists, but we will not find it. In this time, that we're an evolving species, and the, with the change of the Piscean era, Aquarian era, you can describe it in different ways you want to describe it. But the fact is, it's time, you know, why isn't God blessing me? And I put my hands in the sky thinking God's going to shower some blessing. Actually, God is blessing me within me right now. God is loving me within me right now. Yeah? I'm hoping and looking and waiting that it's going to come somewhere. I go to a church, a temple, a mosque, a synagogue, a gurdwara, somewhere hoping that some blessing will come on me. Okay? Which means I'm running outside. But it's actually sitting right here. I love this expression, falling in love. Yeah? Love is already there. Do I need to fall in love with somebody? I need somebody to fall in love with me? Why don't I fall into love? Why don't I just exhale and go down? Relax inside because God is loving me within me right now. And that's an abundance. That's a fountain. That's a, you know, the cup is full and overflowing. Yeah. You know, there's no limit there. You have a limit. He has a limit. They have a limit. How much people can give. How much I can give to my wife or my children or others. You know, there's a limit. But within, there's no limit. And by choosing me, and by acknowledging I am, yeah, I actually can go to that place. 
And the longing is for that. The longing is to connect to that. The longing is to feel that merging of something more than me and me that is intimate with me, has always been and will always be. And is that the place where one discovers their purpose, so to speak? Purpose is a tricky word again, yeah, because <laughs> purpose can easily, my purpose is to be a healer, a teacher, or a baker, or a politician, or again, some kind of, the mind wants to take that into some exterior projection of purpose. Um, but all of that exterior is only a consequence. I use this expression, point of life is to be a point. A point of light. Come to your point and let the light of your being radiate from there. Everything else is self-evident. If you use expression, discover your purpose. Oh, I'm going to do this because I want to discover my purpose. So I do it, but I'm still waiting. So come on, God, reveal, reveal. But that is already, you're already getting in your own way. You understand? It's like, so, again, it's challenging and confronting. Take all that away. Take all that away. It all will unfold and be self-evident if you just come to self. And sit. And be. And be. <laughs> and just let and it feel, pass. And feel, let it breathe you, let it breathe you. Like let yourself be in the self, the micro-self, contained in the micro-self, and sit in the very heart of it, and let it flow, and little by little, all the clearing, all the fog will clear, and everything is self-evident from there. And that doesn't that take quite some time? I mean, time that maybe It can take a whole lifetime, it maybe even take lifetimes. <laughs> but if you get little moments of it in this lifetime, consider that a blessing. I think everybody can have a moment. People have had moments. People have sat under a tree or sat in a church or wherever and they've had moments. They've been at a, some family celebration and they just suddenly felt such a love that was more than just a family proportion of love, you know, but something that was bigger than that. Anybody has felt something, a little spark of light, a little glimpse of something. Uh, we're all enlightened in some way but we're not liberated. I make that distinction. Yeah. Nobody has not seen the light. They just maybe don't remember. But we're not free of all our patterns, all our stories, all our attachments, all our fears, the influences of the Maya. We're not free. So liberation is to be free. Enlightenment is one can have a sense of the light. And, does, and has Kundalini Yoga like supported you in that, in that journey to discover this light and to really find that sense of self? Kundalini Yoga has served me in many ways because I did already have some profound experience and, but I didn't have a language for it. I didn't have the way to stabilize it and, um, and a way to invite others towards that same experience. So having that um, technology, having the language, not just of Kundalini Yoga, for me personally, I'm speaking, the um, teachings of Guru Nanak, the Sikh Gurus, also really put in words for me many things that I had sensed, perceived, but didn't have articulation for. So I would say, like Guru Nanak said, it better than I ever could, in a way. And um, so for me, it was it was uh, very 
helpful to find both the tools through yoga, through breathing, through connecting to the, the breath down into the navel, which very few people do normally, and linking to the sound current of mantra with the breathing. Um, very stabilizing, really. And then just learning a lot through yoga. I learned about diet, Ayurveda, um, how to be in my body, how to carry the body, how to be sensitive to the body and what it needs, how to take it into a state of deep relaxation, which is very recuperating and rejuvenating. Um, yeah, being very aware of, of posture um, and opening up the breath. So the circulation is more, oxygenation of the bloodstream, the working on the glandular system. A lot of our emotional experiences are related to glandular uh, states. Yeah? So being able to know that you can change your glandular chemistry of your own body. And when you do that, you change your emotional experience. So, um, yeah, yoga helps that a lot. Kundalini specifically worked for me because it, it explained to me what I'd experienced. I didn't know that it was Kundalini. When I was 17, I had this fire burning up through my spine and coming out the top of my head and so much energy that I was running through the streets for all night long because <laughs> I couldn't stand still with it. But um, all I knew, I just heard a voice saying, don't go to the hospital, don't go to the hospital, they'll lock you up. In those days, I remember one of my friends was getting electric shocks that were treating people with. And that was back in the, the 70s. So um, just, just uh, gave me all the, the cohesion, really. And in Kundalini Yoga, I feel it's, it's very comprehensive. We talk about uh, the human experience, we talk about relationships, conscious communication, diet, exercise, meditation, mantra. So, it, it, and it has the bhakti connected to it as well, which comes from the Sikh Dharma. So it's combined what we call Shakti, the, the, the power and the technology. Here's an interesting thing. Many people get into spirituality, their past experiences kind of drive them there in some way. And one common version of that story is people who've experienced abuses of power, sexually or physically or psychologically, um, abuses of power experienced or witnessed close to home and in in parent to parent or to siblings or bullying in the schools and anything like this, abuses of power. And so somewhere in, the, in our authentic self, we feel the, the um, it just feels that's not right. You know, it's not like saying sinner, but the, the idea is just it doesn't feel right. That, that doesn't make sense. Why is this, this happening? Yeah? And so that can take one on a surge of humility, of spirituality, of gentleness in life, not wanting to be powerful because power abuses. And on the one side, it leads a lot of people into a bhakti approach, a devotional approach to spirituality. And that's fine, I'm not saying anything, but it's only half the picture. Because then you end up people being, yes, very humble, very bhakti, but not sitting in their power. 
and of course others who just want to do yoga and want to raise their kundalini and want to have the shakti but don't want to put it in service of something higher because there's mm. no bhakti. So for me it was very important also that kundalini combined with the bhakti gave me a way of, set, of feeling that you can be empowered. And we mean by that not power over anybody. Not a power to abuse, but I can be empowered. I can come back into power. And the bhakti and the lineage and the principles of the, the teach that were taught and as, as guiding principles in the teachings. So that's a reminder that, that, that how to use that power and not abuse it. As a teacher, we use the expression power to empower. You know, master of self, servant to all. So it's not an abuse of power. So one, this is what I just witnessed many times, people coming into spirituality, but not wanting to, again, this is someone I met recently, yeah, I do my meditation, it's silent, as I do, do you exercise, do you have chanting in your tradition? Have, oh no, none of that, we just meditate on the one, and, the, and it's all from the neck up, you know? Mm. And, and what's wrong with coming into this body? You know, it's not, it's not an evil thing. Humans have done terrible things in these bodies, but service to others is also done through the body. You know, I say religion has given birth to the greatest sinners, but also the greatest saints. Don't just see the one side of the thing. So it's for each one to be as conscious as you can. It's okay to apply the technology. It's okay to come back into strength. But yes, that needs a guiding principles as to what you then do with that and in service of what, and, and so it's not amused, but not to take our history and, and leave ourselves weak because we don't want to be that. It's, it's just it's an oscillation, it's a culture, counterculture, but the counterculture is no more real than the culture, it's mm. no more authentic. Whatever the counterculture is, on any form, whether it's the punks, you know, of the 70s or the hippies of the 60s, whatever it is, it's all counterculture, but it's only, you know, a pendulum swinging. Yeah? Where it really is the authentic line yeah, to find. And that's, it's a meditation for life, to reflect upon that, to take a reality check with yourself. But at least, at least what I wish, if I'm, anybody is hearing this, that I'm giving a perspective to start reflecting differently about the things. And maybe that can help find a different balance in their life. And how did you come to discover, you know, the philosophy that you're known for, Karam Kriya, through this practice of Kundalini? Okay. Um, because of my experiences already as a teenager, I was researching a lot of occult kind of things and Kabbalah and tarot cards and numerology was all part of that. So I already had a background and already sensed many different teachings and they all make reference to number. Why don't they really give you more about the number? They claim, oh this is a powerful system because it's based in number, but they don't say what about the number. Um, so I always was thinking, well, what about the number? 
I'm not saying I had answers straight away, but that this was my, my question. But I also saw a lot of manipulation. I saw how gullible people are. You know, you can take somebody's hand, oh, I can read your hand. Oh, that line, that cross there, this means that. And the person will absolutely believe you. And you can tell anything you can, if you know how to be convincing. We're all actors in the life. Mm. Yeah? And it actually horrified me how gullible people are. And then I, I, I didn't know the word karma at that time, but I, I realized that this has consequences. If you, if you do this with people, people want to come read my cards, this and that. What do I really know? The book tells me this card means that, and my own mind adds to that. Somebody sits in front of you, oh, it's the, um, it's the hermit card. So that means you are this or that, or you have to do this or that. Oh, okay. And they were going to do it. And I thought, this, you know what? This is very disturbing. Part of my journey through death and back was in a way like also wanting to escape that. You know, I don't want to play this game. I don't want to play the every day just survive and compete with your neighbors and get the bigger car and the bigger TV and the bigger, you know. I don't want that. So I go into the occult and I find, you know, they're playing the same games in heaven. Full of egos, full of manipulation, full of stories, full of lies. I don't want nothing to do with that. Where do I go? Yeah. Okay. Coming to Kundalini Yoga, its connection with the, the Guru Granth Sahib, the Japji of Guru Nanak, the, the Bhakti teachings, that combination somehow really spoke to me. And then learning the, um, this connection of the ten spiritual bodies, which is the yogic technology, with the lives of the Gurus, and the mantra that Guru Nanak gave, which called the Mul Mantra, the Root Mantra, and seeing that connection, I saw, okay, there's a way to come back to number that has integrity in it, that gives me an, a new way to relate to this and, and a way to share that to people that is more, um, not I do it for you or I, I do the reading for you, but I can give you the means that you can come to your own balance and harmony. And so it's a longer story than that, but it's approximately like that. Yoga and the teachings of Kundalini Yoga and the Siddharma gave me a way to, to be with that. And Pythagoras had said an interesting thing that if you don't know number, you don't know anything. If you only know number, you don't know anything. So I reinterpret that in my own phrase, study life through numbers, study numbers through life. In the sense also that if there was no number, there would be no life. Okay? If there was not number two, I wouldn't have two nostrils, two eyes, two ears, two arms, two legs, two kidneys, you know. I wouldn't even have a left and right side of a symmetry. wouldn't exist. If two doesn't exist, neither does three or four or five. If three doesn't exist, you don't have three-dimensional. I would be flat, flat on this wall. I wouldn't be projected into space. Because number three, if four didn't exist, there would be no four chambers of my heart. My DNA chain has four proteins that make up the chain of the DNA. It wouldn't exist. So not take out number is like you took out the entire backbone of life. Everything would fall apart. So this speaks to me very strongly. In every religion, you know, whether it's the Ashtanga, eight limbs of Patanjali, the eight 
um, Eightfold Path of Buddhism, the, the trigrams, eight trigrams in the I Ching. If you didn't have eight, this wouldn't exist, you know. So you can go into seven, no seven, no chakras. Yeah? All, all the teachings actually take the number out of it, take away the Trinity. Where is Christianity? Where is Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva? Yeah? So number is, is, is kind of an essence inside of everything. It's more abstract. Yeah? You can see a deity, you can make a statue, you can have stories of the great souls of this religion or that religion, but you can't see a number. It's not the form. If you make a form of three, or maybe in another culture it's three lines or a triangle. The form, that's not the number. And I go like that, three fingers. It's fingers, it's not the number. And I say, okay, I'm going to take away the, number, the fingers and you watch out and see if you can still see the three. And you don't see it. So the number is invisible itself. But it is the very invisible thing that actually is the ground under which the entire existence is. So although I have my personal path with Guru Nanak and uh, Kundalini Yoga, I, I find numbers is something completely universal. And it's a little harder to study because of the abstraction. But if you start to get it, it can serve you a lot. And not, people say, what well, can I do with numbers? And I say, it's not so much what you can do. Numbers are doing with you already. Um, but rather, if you learn about them and listen to them and recognize them when they appear, then they can guide you. And that's so I use that title for the book that I wrote, Let the Numbers Guide You, rather than what. Because that's like what the difference I make, man-made magic or the magic that made man. Mm. If I say man-made magic, is what I can do. Remember what we said earlier? I'm the controller of... Yeah, but I'm not really. Yeah. I'm not really. Okay, so there's a magic that made man. If I tune into that magic, life comes into a harmony. I feel I'm in step with the cosmos in a way. And that's actually incredibly simple. That's the interesting thing. People come to class, oh, so in mind and intellect, and I said, no, it's not intellect, it's highly intelligent. And it's so intelligent that it's actually utterly simple. I tried it. I was teaching my son when he was five years old. He got it. Because his thinking was still simple. He was seeing through the child's mind. And he could then say, yeah, and that, that, if that also means this then. I said, oh. He, he could even take it to the next step. Because he had the simplicity. Come along an adult. And all the layers of complexity and the mental analysis they want to do on everything. And they don't get it. It's the most simple thing. The essence is simple. Out of it comes complexity. But the essence is simple. And can you break down like a, like a, the numbers into like a little summary? Uh, that, let's have a go. A little challenging. I taught a workshop in uh, France one time and after four days somebody asked this question, but can you tell us finally the essence of each number? <laughs> and I said, okay, we'll do that. And uh, they were excited. After four days I gave them so much and they were still asking for the essence of every number. So okay. So they all got pen and paper and I said, are you ready? Yes, we're ready. One, 
two, three, four, and then they like threw their papers. And, okay, <laughs> what can we know? Because that's that is the essence of each number. Now can I say it in another way? I exist, number one. I am one with the one. And that would be number eleven. The ten plus one. The micro one and the micro one. Two, I exist in time. There's a separation, there's a line from here to here. So there's a journey. Like a seed now has roots. It's in a process through time. Three, three-dimensional space. I exist in space. And that, that is, that's the affirmation, in a way, of action and manifestation. Two is a, little, is a bit like a gap. Between here and here, there's a gap. I'm here, but I was there and wasn't. Now I'm away from home. So that's the nostalgia, yeah, the homesickness that the soul feels. There's a number two. We call it the negative mind. And one is the soul, two is negative mind. There's a distance and a difference. Three is positive. Positive doesn't necessarily mean good, and negative doesn't mean bad. Positive is simply, okay, well, I'm here, I might as well get on with it. So you try to make something with the form and the life and the space, and that's positive. But then you get knockbacks, and you, you realize you didn't know as much as you think you know. And so that is an invitation to become more neutral. Four is, it's a triangle is a locked thing. Often people relate number four to stability, but it also has a mobility to it that the three doesn't have. I can turn the triangle around, but it's still triangle. But if I open it up, then I can go into diamond shape one way or the other way. I still have the four points. Yeah, they're the same distance to the neighboring points, but there's a mobility, there's movement. My construct has been broken. Crisis or opportunity. Mm. So there's a number four, the opening. Um, one is the sleep state, two is the dream state, three is the fascination of the Maya. So four is the beginning of waking up, becoming conscious. Five, five elements, five senses. Five is about harmony and balance uh, of the five. And um, five is also relationship because of five on each side. So five and five make ten. So there's also like a threshold between this five and this five. My five senses are a threshold between the inside world and the outside world. So connection and threshold and communication and relationship comes with number five. The higher numbers are more subtle and more abstract, so more, a little more difficult to define. Uh, let's say I'm moving through the time and space, I got a little bit lost, now I'm becoming conscious, and I realize I've got this vehicle of this five senses and the five doors and um, the five elements, of the world, so what now? Yeah. Um, six, in, in a way, this is interesting. Six is almost is like a silence, in a way, like, which could be fear, because I thought I knew, but now I know I don't know. So there can be a fear. It can also be faith. The unknown is not my enemy. So that can be silence frozen. The hawk silence, heavy silence, paralyzed silence, 
or the silence which is like suspended but alert and present, moving beyond my five senses. We talk about sixth sense, yeah? So just being present and alert for consciousness. And that, that links to intuition in a way as well. What's next? Seven is the new level of fascination because then you do get insight and you do see beyond the, the threshold of the five. And then you start to see the spiritual panorama. So the seven can be that fascination. Um, it can also become judgment now because now you see things you didn't see before. So you start analyzing and judging and it can become very scientific or very superiority. Um, so we call it the plat platform, you know, or that, that stage in meditation where people say, I'm learning to be just the observer. Unfortunately, many people think that's the end of the road, but it's not. It's a stage on the way. But an important one, but a lot of people stop there. They don't go any further. Uh, but seven can be like that, just to learn to be the witness of the light, witness of your emotions, witness of the thoughts that spin around in your mind, witness of the drama around you. Um, but just to get stuck there, um, it, it can produce a kind of, like I mentioned earlier, that cynicism. Yeah. I'm no longer an actor in the world. I'm just a witness. And then I see connections that other people don't see. And you become kind of ironic and, and a bit skeptical and cynical in the life. Can be. I'm not saying it, it can only that. Each number can have kind of a dark or light side. You know, karma or dharma. Eight is a number that is normally represent infinity. So when you start to realize also the limits of your own observing mind, and you realize that even there there's a veil, and even the way of looking already has an impact on the results of what comes back to you, and you start to, to want to clean that out in a way. So it's on another level of cleansing and clearing. There's the first one of just opening up to there's more to life than what I thought. Yeah, and a curiosity about that. And then the fear like, oh, and it's big. That's like the number six stage. And then the seven is, oh, I get it. And then the number eight is like, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, a, yeah, another, another level of, of cleansing to do, to go into what the Buddhists would call the like, pure mind. So going really into cleaning out, cleaning out, cleaning out, cleaning out. The danger there is if, if you run too fast, too quickly to that, is you're also cleaning out the sense of self. And you're going into the dissolution of self. It's one thing to dissolve the false understanding. It's another thing to lose the self and the opportunity that's given in life to be a self. So it's... It, um, there are several critical stages along the way. But this, this happens when people get really lost in just purify, purify, and they end up cleaning out the very possibility of self. It's a long road, and number nine is the last of the nine digits, and thus implies, therefore, patience, resilience, endurance, perseverance, and... If I say calmness, I mean two things. Calm, like 
when you realize the road is long, you know, there's no hurry. And just calm down, slow and steady is okay. Just go step by step. It's okay. And the other meaning of that is if you really do reach to that mind, then an incredible peace comes to you. So calmness becomes a state. On the one side, it's something I need to cultivate, calm down, relax, keep coming back to that. But on, on the completion of that road of the soul, is if you would take a circle and you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, it's like you're back home. As you might do when you arrive home, you, you know, you sit down and say, ah, it's good to be home. <laughs> Relax. And that doesn't have to mean you leave this world to be home. We talked about that. It's an interior state of back with your original nature and with the one who created you, who's in you. And so coming back home to self and finding that calm and that tranquility and that peace in yourself. Number 10, because the completion, one plus nine is 10. So number 10 is from that, is when we talked earlier also about that, about light, yeah? Be a point and then become point of light. And number 10 is that radiance of light. Light everywhere, light within, light all around, light in everyone. Yeah, thanks for... And 11, 10 plus one. God and me, me and God are one. So even through the zero of the ten, you've zeroed all the false nature of self, and yet there's still a point, because the circle is made of infinite number of points, and you are one point on that infinite point, so you are part of. You can never be apart from. There's no outside, really. We have our little, you're not in my group, you know, outside thing, but there's no real outside. We are in uh, something that has no measure to it. And so when you relax into that, I am part of, I participate. Sometimes I say it like that. Why do you get up in the morning? Life lives in me, so I live life. I participate. Simple. No big... Mo- That's why this idea of purpose and everything, up to a point, people need to... It's like a carrot in front of the donkey, you know? I need to find my purpose. Then, oh, okay, that's... I'm sabotaging, I'm seeking too hard. Stop the... Oh, yeah, yeah, I feel it. Oh, purpose. So a new level of purpose comes. But then that becomes another level of illusion. And that dissolves. But you don't dissolve. You are. And so, life lives in me, I live life. I don't even think purpose anymore. No, long time ago, I abandoned this idea of purpose. What do I need to purpose? Really? But I don't tell other people, you don't need purpose. Because mm. they're like, Oh, really? And that's either like really depressing or like confusing or paralyzing, or um, they start to feel like I can do whatever I want because it's all free and no one needs purpose. And then they really don't get it, you know, they become quite kind of abusive. Some, someone um, started to abuse their children and, and uh, sleep with the neighbors. Oh, what are you doing? What happened? Oh, my teacher told me it's God doing everything, it's not me. <laughs> There's no I, it's just God. Whatever God makes me do, I do. So I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry, I cannot possibly acknowledge the reality of that. 
not ready, not gone through the clarity because fantasy comes in. And then somebody's doing whatever the fantasy says and says, God is making me do it. Mm. Pure mind, pure it out, clean it out, clean it out, clean it out. You cannot imagine the distance you have to go for the cleaning. Yeah? And so, Satnam, same like opinions. People say, what's your opinion about this, your opinion about Why I need an opinion? You need me to have an opinion because you've got some problem with something and you want some angle. But an angle is an angle. If I bend my finger, I have an angle, but now it's not on the highest point. When it's straight, you have the bird's eye view. You see from the highest point. What is his? Yeah, but what do you think about that? Oh, I have to have a, an opinion about that? <laughs> oh, well, if I go over here, I see it like this. If I go over there, I see it like that. If I go over there, I see it like that. I can have an infinite number of angles. But what is is? Can I be with that? Or do I need to have an opinion? Mm. I don't need an opinion. But I respect everybody's need for opinions, angles, purposes, missions, whatever they have to do, they have to do. And how does like a number, like a Karan Kriya number attribute to a person? So like, for example, my middle number. In that you, wait, 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 slow down. Everybody has all the numbers. Okay. First of all, we say the 10 spiritual bodies, everybody has all. And what you're referring to, but that's maybe a, a whole other story, is we can, since numbers are numbers, so wherever you find them, they may have some significance. Telephone number, house number, social security number, passport number. But the number that stays with you from beginning to end is your birthday number. You can't change that. You can change your name, you can change your house, you can change your telephone. Many things you can change. Social security number, maybe you didn't have one when you were first born. So <laughs> the one thing that came on you the day you're born is you're born on that day. So those numbers have quite a strong impact uh, upon you. And it's not just one number. Is the day you're born, the month you're born, the year you're born, the century you're born, and the addition of all of those, each of them have a different meaning. It's too much to go in detail now, but they, it's simply meaning those numbers are more predominant in your life. Okay, But all numbers are there. You're made of all the ten, as you have ten fingers. So. Okay, thank you so much for this incredibly insightful uh, conversation. Before we kind of start closing, I would love it if you could share maybe two to three different practices someone could maybe try at home. I know that you shared the I am practice. Breathing, yoga, meditation, diet, take care of your diet, sort it out. Uh, every day do exercise, learn to do deep relaxation, learn how to put yourself in an absolute like we call it corpse posing yoga, you know, just mm -hmm. to lie down and let everything go in the life and use the exhale. People tend to be more holding in too much, yeah? So let go, let go, let go, breathe out, breathe out, relax, 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 over and over and over again. Okay, connected to your nabi. You watch a baby breathing and the, the belly is moving. <sighs> And, and, and they rest on the exhale. Yeah, the adult is up here, 
Okay, and so uh, today I'm going to maybe, um, you know, they're talking and they're always holding, holding. Maybe it's like. And they stay there, rested. Come back to that. Come back to the exhale. Come back to relax. And this, has, this is mechanics. You have to learn to use it mechanically. I spoke about depth, let go of all depth. Nobody owes you. There's no compensation. Whatever you think someone has done wrong to you, nothing they can do to compensate. Whatever you think you've done wrong on anybody, you can't make up for it, so don't even try. It's not, I don't mean a flippant, careless thing, you know. There's a fine line between careless and carefree. Become carefree. Um, what else? What else? Stop thinking so much. Easier to say than to do. So, be occupied. Read books of wisdom. If you're going to think, think right. You sit with your own thinking, trying to turn around, trying to work out something, and you keep going round and round over the same things. Read scripture, read wisdom books, read from Buddha, read from the parables of Jesus, read from the Guru Ramdas and Guru Nanak, read. The right things. If you're going to think, learn how to think well. You've got a body, you've got a, uh, a human heart, you've got a voice, and you've got a mind. And these three things have to come together. Your communication to others, communication to self. And they should match. Any communication I would have with you, I would have with me. Any communication I would have with me, if I wouldn't speak it to other, why am I speaking it to me? Why, why am I going through some internal trip about that? Yeah? Inside out, outside should match. Consciousness of your communication, conscious of your thoughts. Yeah? Why are you thinking that? And do you notice how many millions of times you've been through the same, replayed the same movie? Like, and you realize how much energy you're losing? Mm. By doing that, there's a lot of energy lost mentally, never mind through physical. Act. If there's something you can do today, do it. Take action. Get out of, I should, I have to, I must. It's a tragic way to live the life. There's no should. So I say, yeah, but I have to pay my bills. They said, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, but then I'll end up on the street. So what? I don't want to live on the street. So then you want to pay your bills. Don't say you have to. Own it. Choose it. Take responsibility. Stop saying you have to anything. You do what you do because you want to do what you do. And if you don't want to, figure out a way to get out of it. It's not easy. You can't drop everything today, but start. Work it out now. Start. Initiate some way. I don't want to do this anymore. Then start finding a way. Be strategic. I don't want to be drinking so much every Friday night anymore. Okay, start finding a way. Maybe you need a therapy. Maybe you just need to stop hanging out with those people. Maybe you need... But find a way. Don't say, I should. I have to. I know, I need to. One day, yeah. But 
one day will never come. Is that something you could do today? What do you mean? Could you take a walk? Of course I can take a walk. Then go and take a walk now. Oh, you mean just like that? Yeah, why not? Confront yourself like that. Do what you can. Whatever you can do. Little thing, day by day. You'll be surprised. That's what they say in the tower, yeah? Journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Every day. What today can I do? Not what should I do? And at the end of the day, I did what I can. Not, oh, I should have done that. Or tomorrow I have to do it. How are you going to sleep well? Mm. Right thinking. I don't mean right, wrong, like that. Wrong is the only meaning, whatever, puts you out of harmony. Not wrong like some judgment of a crime. Whatever puts you dis-ease, not at ease, disharmony. Whatever puts you out, mentally, physically, or emotionally, stop it. And you say, yeah, how about that? I understand. Now, here's an interesting thing. There is no how. No is the how. Say no to something. There's a lot of power in no. There's not so much power in yes. If you haven't got the power of no, you don't have the power of yes. Yes, I will do that. But did you say no to that? Because when that comes and knocking at your door, oh yeah, oh okay, and off you go. This yes that you said to has no power because you did not say no to that. Mm-hmm. The first power, child first learns negative, then positive. Child is unhappy, uncomfortable, makes a noise. Feed it, bathe it, get the wind out, change the nappy, whatever, child's happy, quiet. Something not right, noise. First is negative. And then it learns to affirm, I want this, I want that. The yes comes. But who taught it to say yes, 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 yes? Yes to what? We're saying yes to a whole lot of things. It doesn't make sense. But it can be quite challenging to distinguish what totally your no, what your totally no's challenging. are, right? I, I do not deny in any way I, I can express it. I've learned over the years, thanks to the teachings, to express it very articulate, very clear, very profoundly, in a way that's like, it's, you can't not acknowledge it, yeah? It's so clear. Okay, but to act it, to live it, to actualize, nothing more hard. I totally agree. Nothing more challenging. And we live in a time of Kali Yuga, the Dark Age, and the Maya has the upper hand. We're very similar to People think, oh, I have a problem. It's me who's struggling. What's wrong with me? Hey, don't you realize you're in a domain right now that's like walking through treacle? We're up to, we're, we're up to mud, and up to our necks in mud, you know? And you're saying, what's wrong with me? It's the context. We're living in a very difficult time. So don't think you're the problem here. But take the challenge. Okay, difficult time, but I will not go under. I am. And I will honor that. And I will find a way. Okay? And that is not congruent to I am. So say no. 
and don't mind what the people say. That's what Guru, I learned from Guru Nanak, that never mind the opinion of the other people. It's the first thing that will sabotage you. What my mother might say, what my brother might say, what my friend might say, what anybody might say. So that's the, that's the practice that you recommend. Find your no. Eliminate to illuminate. I go to the supermarket. Pineapples. I want to buy a pineapple. There's 40 pineapples, all in a beautiful tray in front of me, like that. I don't know which one to take. I touch one, I pick one up. Wait a minute. Start to eliminate. I'm not, 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 not. Identify all the pineapples that you will not take. And if there's one left and it smells good, take it. And if it doesn't smell good, no pineapple today. But you use no. You're going down the aisle. Oh, look at all that biscuits and sweeties. And no, not today. Move on. If you don't have the power of no, I'll just take a look. Just take a look, or are you going to go buy? I'm not just taking a look. Then you come back with a basket full of <laughs> candy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess what I was kind of like seeking for was maybe like a, like a kundalini yoga uh, practice or a mantra or something like that. It's, it's, I think that's, I'm a little cautious about that because it's taken out of context. Okay. Yeah, if you, it, I can recommend to people, you know, do find a practice, do find a path. You know, if I say a mantra, I'm going to say hallelujah. Well, okay, that's Christian mantra. Okay, it's not just any mantra. It's a very powerful mantra, very deep meaning. It has effect and it connects me in to all the saints and Christians that have chanted this mantra. If I say, I start connecting into a whole Sufi lineage. It's not just any mantra. Otherwise, just like I said, use these affirmations of English words that you can connect to, link it to your breath. That's a technique. Yeah, but if you want a mantra, you have to say, why am I going to choose this mantra? Mm. What am I connecting to? Do I want to connect with that? Yeah. If I start chanting, Om Mani Padme Hum, am I Buddhist now? Do I honor Buddha nature? Do I understand what the mantra means, what his lineage is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hear you, I hear you. So I think I'm cautious about putting it out of context. Yeah. Yoga is good, whether you're Hatha Yoga, Ayanga Yoga, uh, Ashtanga Yoga, any kind of yoga. Exercise is good, and yoga is probably one of the most efficient yoga systems in the world. So, hey, yeah, go do yoga, <laughs> you know. But I'd rather a person, by their own commitment to themselves, would go and seek out now where's the nearest yoga class and start there, rather than one little technique they got here and they do that maybe a little bit from time to time and they get a little 10 cents mm. out of it. Mm. So I've given a lot and I wish people well, practice as they can, all that I've said, uh, for their own benefit and in their own way. But if you're going to go and do a practice, go and commit to really a practice. And you, you might move on, you might start with Hatha yoga and then find you're ready to a Kundalini yoga. You might go the other way around. But start with something, like we talked about discipline, you know. Um, 
going to Tai Chi if that's what's in your neighborhood. You know, just at this point, don't just go. If you're good at it and you know how to do it, take a walk and you breathe your breath four steps in, four steps out, four steps in, four steps out. When you move the body in rhythm with the breath, you already start to recharge. Most of our movement is not coordinated, breath and movement. In Kalini Yoga, we do a lot of that, coordinating the movement and the breath. And when you do that coordination, things start to line up. Yeah, so... Satnam. Satnam. Okay, I, I, one of my last questions, which I ask each person I interview, but I probably already know the answer, is uh, what do you say, what do you feel is your mission in your life? Carry on as I am. Tell <laughs> me that. And do you have any like books or audios that you recommend people listen to, like specifically? Nope. Go to the bookshelf and see what falls into your hands. That's what happened to me. I was running around the street all night long, and in the I ended up in the footsteps of the library. Uh, at eight in the morning and I just sat there finally could rest and then the people came to open up the library I said well I'm here I might as well go and walk around a bit and use the toilet or whatever and then I was just walking around and who would think in the library shop in the city of Aberdeen library uh, books place that would jump into my hands uh, the Tibetan book of the dead uh, with this commentary. Okay? I thought, okay, why this book has come on me? And so I borrowed it from the library, took it home, and I read it from beginning to end. And in the middle of that reading, the commentary, and then the script itself, I could hear my soul saying, I am a reincarnated ent entity. I'm a reincarnated entity. At that moment, everything of my life from zero until 17 years old made sense and until then it had made no sense mm. look jumped in my hand mm. nobody recommended anything to me okay beautiful thank you so much for trust your... what comes to you but be open say to yourself yeah i want to study yes i want to read yes i'm interested in more yes i, I accept that there's more to me than i realize and there's more to life than i realize and I want to know, and I'm available. Have that attitude and be open. Go to any bookshop. Even nowadays, you go in, in the airport or railway station bookshop, there are very profound books there. People's biographies of their life stories, anything. Self-help books, development books, yoga books, you can find it all. And if you can't choose, then start eliminate to eliminate. Which one will you not buy today? Okay. I'm not going to buy a science book. I'm not going to buy a cookbook. I'm not going to buy... Okay, start eliminating. Spend an hour on that shop. Who cares? And either you walk out with nothing or one book comes in your hand. Trust it. Thank you so much for your time and for this uh, magical interview that, uh, okay. that we've had. Um, I really, really appreciate the wisdom that you've shared and feel it moving through me definitely so yeah it's it's been really a beautiful experience 
where can people find out more about you? Karamwaya.com uh, website and the, the books that I've written, couple, are on satanam.eu website or Amazon has one of my books, like the numbers that I do. Um, uh, there's a lot of, some of your uh, videos on YouTube, on Shiv Charan Singh, I think so, it's there. Vimeo, Karam Kriya, on Vimeo, even Karam Kriya YouTube, I think as well. Um, yeah. And people can come visit your ashram, right? The ashram is open, we need to know, you can't just turn up. <laughs> that uh, could be highly problematic if there's a group running and so on, but uh, if you I can go on the website to the ashram and let them know if you want to come and uh, anything, 10 days, 40 days, there are different um, levels of you can just come in and just join in the, the morning sadhana and meditation and the evening meditation. Uh, or you can also get involved, do some seva there and give something back to the ashram. And so depending on the arrangement you want to have, <coughs> the ashram can negotiate with you um, the different arrangement. But it's, it's in a lovely environment uh, in the spiritual community, so it's a very nourishing place to get away from the city and your busy life and uh, come back to self. Yeah. Thank you. Very grateful for your time. This was really mm -hmm. profound. Okay. Thank you for listening to another episode of My Guru. Be sure to follow us on Insta at My Guru, spelled My Six Guru or add my personal Insta, Anna Dream Maria.